What is up, everybody, and welcome to the All NBA Show, part of the All City Podcast Network, coming to you on a Friday. Happy Friday to everybody. We have a good show for you today as we're going to talk about a handful of teams and hand out a winner of the week. I'm your host, Adam Mattis, and I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, Tim Legler. Legs, how you doing? I'm great, man. I'm great. Uh, you know, it's funny, uh, with everything that happened yesterday at the trading deadline and our entire show dedicated to it, basically, and even all my entire day at work in general. Right. You forget sometimes that there's games that night. <laughs> like I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about. There was actually some yeah. good ones, you know, some good ones scheduled. Um, and then I kind of sit down, finally take a breath after like six o'clock Sports Center, and you're kind of like getting your thoughts together. It's like, oh wait, wait a second, there's a slate of games tonight that I probably need to watch. So, and there was some good games last night as well. And some really, really, really good team performances that we're going to get into. I think I saw you a hundred times yesterday. <laughs> You were That's you were a busy right. man making the rounds. Yeah. I see see you on Woj, see you on Sports Center. You're making the rounds. A very busy man. Um, but today you're right. It's kind of nice. It was fun to talk trades and to look big picture and step back a little bit. But us on this show, we love to look at the games and break down the games and the implications. So we're going to do that today as we talk a little bit about the Suns rising, starting to look better and better. In particular, Bradley Bill. We'll talk about him. We're also going to talk about the Warriors and the Pacers. The Pacers go in the other direction. I have some questions about them. And then we'll spend a good portion of the show talking about the Nuggets, who, to me, I watch them every single game. To me, there's a lot of little signs that they are significantly better than people realize. We'll get into all of that on today's show, but we're presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code ALLNBA, because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void were prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. Legs, we begin uh, with the Phoenix Suns getting the win over the Utah Jazz. Utah Jazz have been playing very well. But in this game, the Suns really just outpaced them. The Jazz made a comeback to start the second half, cut it, I believe, to three points. That was the closest it got. The Suns really had two blowouts in this game, one in the first half and one again in the second half. What stood out to you about this one? For the Suns, you're talking about on their for on the their Suns. End. What did I say? Did I say it wrong? Yeah, the Suns. No, no, you said it right. Yeah, just making sure you're talking about the Phoenix Suns. So I think what what stood out to me, um, first of all, when you allow, I shouldn't say allow because that makes it always seem like the defense is somehow you know doing it. But when when great players get off to the kind of start that Kevin Durant got off to last night, you got a problem on your hands. Yeah. And the same thing can be said about the the Warriors Indiana game and what Steph did in the first quarter of that game was absolutely insane. Um and, but that and that's kind of set the tone for the Suns for the entire night. Look, the Jazz are a good team now. They've proven that. They're they're a tough team to play against. They can put up big numbers. And Phoenix came out and Kevin Durant went to work early in that game and it just got everybody into a nice rhythm, a nice lane. It's something else that jumped out to me. The Bradley Beal had a great game too. So Booker yeah. wasn't there. So the two of those guys were sensational. But then there's this other guy that that stands out to me um, is Grayson Allen. And I've talked yeah. a lot about Grayson Allen and, and his fit and how much he has impressed me this year as much more than just a three-point shooter. It's primarily what they brought him in as. Like, they need spacers when you put this kind of talent together. You need other guys that can space the floor out. So they get Eric Gordon, they get they get Grayson Allen. Grayson Allen is so much more than that. Um, he is so tough and competitive. And it gives them, you know, a three-point shooter you can keep on the floor without sacrificing the ability to make good plays with the ball and to guard people. I mean, he, he guards as hard as he can every possession and takes on really good scorers and, like, really does a nice job on those guys. And then last night on the other end of the floor, he plays 35 minutes. It play, takes four shots. I mean, for a three-point shooter, 
to yeah. play 35 minutes in today's league, that's usually going to result in like 10 to 12 threes that you're taking right. because that's what the league looks like, right? He takes four threes, or I'm sorry, four shots, three threes, 14 assists. And, and as I was watching the game and he's racking up these assists, like they weren't like, none of them were like cheap ones. They were really? all like really smart, good next play next pass somewhere a ball fakes on a three-point line guy flies by takes into the lane draws two, and then kicks it cross court to an open shot um through through like nice lob a couple of times like perfectly timed off the dribble so they, they weren't like cheap easy ones where it just came to him out of the double team and then like there's one more pass that guy's wide open in the corner now he might have had a couple of those but it, like his playmaking and his iq is so beneficial to their team. And that this was just a very, very impressive night for the Suns. They got out of the gate quick. They had a 40-point first quarter. Durant played great. Uh, Beal played great. And Grayson Allen had 14 assists. Nurkic had 16 and 8. He did his part just solid all the way around. And Eric Gordon was 7 for 8 from the field. I mean, you can't right. ask for a more complete performance offensively than what Phoenix gave you last night. 37 assists as a team. And this isn't a, yeah. a team that we necessarily think of as high assist total guys. And I think to your point, you know, Grayson Allen has been a good shooter for a while. In the playoffs, the volume of shots is going to be so low that it almost becomes, I don't care if you're 40% or 35, you're going to get three chances and you're going to have to make one of them, maybe two of them, and that's going to, that's going to be your role. But the assist, the passing to me is a, is a thing because when I think about what happened to the Suns last year, it really was – can a team, and Denver was able to do this, force the ball out of Kevin Durant and Devin Booker's hands, selling out completely to trap them and, and to force somebody else to beat you. And then it was jump shots and playmaking for those other guys. And the fact that you can even get four, I mean, not, not everybody in the NBA can get 14 assists, even once. So to be able to have a game like that, I think I think you're on the right track with Grayson Allen. And by the way, they bring in Royce O'Neal, and I know we talked about, okay, what's his role going to be? I just think it's very clear that Grayson Allen, if you had the pecking order of all the, of the, him, Akogi, and Royce O'Neal, I think it's very clearly Grayson Allen is head and shoulders above those other two. And then there's the question. I think Royce O'Neal maybe slights in ahead of Akogi because of that reason. I trust him a little bit more just to do stuff uh, if the ball swings to him as the guy that people are forcing to make plays. I totally agree with that. I mean, uh, Kogi only played 14 minutes last night, and this is before they get Royce O'Neal. Royce O'Neal and, and Booker. Yeah, they they play the same position. Royce O'Neal is, I think, a more reliable and consistent shooter, um, and and gives you every bit as much as a Koji does defensively. He likes to guard. He's got good length. He's strong. So and and you know they they need that that, that two way option. So I think Royce O'Neal is going to take some of those minutes. Nasir Little played 16 minutes last night. Those are going to probably disappear a little bit because I think Royce O'Neal is the kind of guy that's going to come in. He's going to play 20 plus every night. There's going to be nights he's going to play you know 25 to 30 minutes. There's no question in my mind. Um, so, and that's, that was a very understated acquisition on trade deadline day, you know, and it was funny. I was talking to people last night at sports center. We were going over the, the trade day and it's just like this feeling in the room was just like, oh yeah, man, you know, for sports center, all they care about is big storylines, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and a climactic day. And I'm saying to myself, you know, the problem is what people are forgetting is there was all kinds of stuff done over the summer right. and then earlier in the year, like big massive acquisitions were made that they're like you know seismic shifts for teams and you're not going to continue to keep making those so what happened really the knicks got a lot of attention as they should yeah. and they're a hot story right now but then all these these other teams like it was smaller stuff 
but yeah. could be very important to completing their team. And I think Royce O'Neal is a good example of that for Phoenix when he joins them. Yeah. I, so I have a couple I agree with you, by the way. That, and it is funny, our expectation of how much turnover there should be, not just year by year, but half year by half year. Like every yeah. summer there's big moves and then every trade deadline. And then it, it's kind of crazy. One of the things that I think is noteworthy for the Suns right now is Bradley Beal figuring out where he belongs, you know, in this in this dynamic. I mean, he's obviously you'd look at Kevin Durant and Booker, they're gonna be one, two, so Bradley Beal three. But I feel like and I'm curious what, what your perspective is, but I feel like the ball is in his hands a lot more. Maybe it was just that Devin Booker was out last night, but watching him last night, it felt like the team was giving, allowing him to run the show. You know, Kevin Durant obviously started super hot. He makes he steps in and makes plays and stuff, but Bradley Beal seemed like he was dictating the pace of play for the Suns on their end of the court, and he did a phenomenal job at that. And I think that that is my, one of my big questions is what is the dynamic with all three of them but Bradley Beal over this last little stretch has really started to find his rhythm and have some big scoring outputs and just look comfortable. Three points last night. Um, so I'm curious. I think that to me is one of the differences for the Suns right now is Beal feels like a bigger piece of it. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. He's been playing better. He's more comfortable. I, I do think that that's a huge impact last night. Why you're noticing that more is because Booker wasn't there. The ball, the ball gravitates toward Devin Booker. Devin Booker with Beal and Durant on the court, his his you can tell his mindset's a little bit different. He is an absolute like raw scorer, and he's been had he's been put in a position where he's had to play more point than he would like and kind of facilitate. And it's not really what he's naturally good at. And right. I noticed that when they all three of them play together, I feel like Beal does sort of get shuffled into that third slot pretty easily right. because Booker, I really believe, is like I've got to be even more aggressive when I get it. Because we have another guy now that if I do give it up, it probably won't get it again. And that's the way scorers think, man. They want to make something happen every time they get it. So a lot of times early in the possession, that ball gets to Booker. He's going to make something happen in terms of a shot for himself. And so some of the playmaking that you saw at a Beal last night and that you will see if Booker doesn't play, it's hard because the ball's not going to get back to him nearly as often. That is what they have to figure out. And, and ultimately, Adam, and we're going to talk about this this exact point with the Nuggets here in a second. What all that matters is we know that they're going to be in the mix and we know how they can score and they can be really tough to stop some nights. How are they going to close tight games? Because if it's just as simple as give it to KD and let him ISO, they're going to get bounced. They're going to get bounced by somebody. You've got to make defenses work. And that is what we need to see out of them because they still don't have a lot of time under their belt together what happens when they play really good teams in tight games in the last two minutes in a one-possession game? How are you running your offense? How Where's the flow going to be? Because if it's as simple as my turn, your turn, and take these right. tough pull-up threes or contested mid-ranges, they're not going to survive that. So right. that is what we still need to see out of them. And, and look, Beal and Booker and Durant, they're all good enough at both roles that they should be able to play together and get great shots in those situations because of the amount of attention each of them commands. But we don't know yet because they haven't really been in that position very many times. I hope in the coming, you know, I guess we have the all-star break coming up, but in the re remainder of the year, I wouldn't mind seeing the scale shift more to Bradley Beal. Not because I think he's better or anything like that, but just because you want to see what it looks like. And as I mentioned, he's kind of on a heater right now. He had 43 points, then 25, then 30 last night. So three big scoring outputs in a row. You know, I, I just think it seems like it, it's it would be nice to experiment with his usage going up. Do you think Bol Bol can crack the playoff rotation here? 
they've been I know this sounds crazy, but they've been playing him real minutes uh lately. And I know they just added some players, but talking to some of the people in Phoenix, they're treating it as if it's more than just a, sh- a sideshow, as if he's a guy that provides some kind of dynamic that augments how hard it is to match up with the Suns. Look, in, in you know, he's very productive in short minutes. And, and you're, what you're referencing is in basically the last seven games, he has been in double-digit minutes seven straight times, and, and one of those was 10. So really the other six, 14 minutes or more, a um, couple of those games are 17, 18, 19, 20 minutes. And he's when he plays, he scores and rebounds. And it's like I, I watch him play, and it, it does. There's not the awkwardness that you felt mm. when he first started playing the league. It's crazy because I actually coached in the Under Armour circuit, and this is the first time I saw him on the circuit. His team was one year up from ours, but we were always in the same tournaments, and so I seen him play, and it was like crazy, you know, to watch a guy this Manupo's son to be this long and they like, handle the ball and shoot mid rangers right. and stuff like that at that level. You're like, this is crazy. So he's very talented, but it still looked awkward for him at first. He doesn't look awkward anymore. He looks like he's out there and he's much more comfortable and confident. To answer your question, I don't know, man. I don't know because I, I think they've got to get they've got to get Royce O'Neal in there. Right. They've got to play you know ten twelve games, right. and let Frank Vogel figure out what rotation works best for them. And is there still a place for him? Maybe instead of fourteen minutes a night, which it's been over the last seven. Maybe that's more like eight minutes a night. You know, he, he gives somebody a spell for four or five minutes in each half. Um, and then if there's foul trouble injury, he gets a little bit more. That might be it. Or he, there's just not enough room for him if you're going to play, you know, Royce O'Neal a lot of minutes and you're still going to play a Kogi. Maybe there's not going to be as many minutes for him. I think it's got to play out once they get their whole team intact. But I, I hear what you're saying. He's been noticeably good for them. Right. Um, the last one I have for them, and this surprised me when I was digging through the stats, they are the number nine defense in the NBA since Christmas. Not the biggest sample size, about six weeks, but big enough that we can kind of take note of this. That was one of the big questions we have. And Kevin Durant, I thought last night defensively, did some really good stuff guarding Larry Markinen. Do you think that this team has a better defensive upside? Like sometimes when you look at this, it's not what a team does the whole season. You want to see if there's indicators that in a playoff series, they can get stops when they need to. Do, do you see anything in their defense, or do you feel like that's just kind of fun with numbers when we're cutting out a sample size to see what we yeah. want to see? Yeah, yeah, and it's you know it's part of our job, right? You always want to try to find those numbers that validate your point, right? <laughs> well, I don't know on this one, to be honest. Like, I'm actually yeah. not sure. I'm trying yeah. to make sense of it. No, I hear you. Like, I, look, the bottom line is it's going to have to be because, yeah. you know, I think every team in the Western Conference, if you're not using the Denver Nuggets – as your yardstick, then you're, you're making a mistake because that's all that yeah. matters. Can we get by Denver? And to do that, what are we going to have to become defensively to play right. against them and the way that they execute in the half court? So there has to be more to Phoenix defensively. And anytime you find numbers that back it up, it's a good sign. All right, let's take our first break. On the other side, I do want to get into a little bit about this Pacers team. I'm curious about I mean, they have not looked great really for a couple weeks now. Injuries, trade, uh, but the Warriors got them last night. So we're going to talk a little bit about Warriors Pacers before moving on to our main topic, which is, of course, the Nuggets, who I thought got an impressive win on Kobe statue night last night in L.A. But first, the NBA season is in full swing. Actually, I'm going to throw the ad read out. It's NFL season because this is Friday. We're going into the weekend. The big story is obviously the Super Bowl. Super Bowl is the most fun thing to bet on. And at DraftKings Sportsbook, their official sports betting partner of the NFL, you can bet $5 and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. 
I am curious, Legs. Who do you got in the Super Bowl? Do you are you leaning one way? I'm kind of I'm kind of pulling for the Niners. I guess I, I don't have a okay. I don't have a you know a dog in this fight. Um, I have a gut feeling Kansas City's going to win the game um, because of Mahomes basically and his ability to, to make stuff happen under the most intense pressure and important moments. He just seems to be able to make something even if there's nothing there. I ultimately have the most faith in him. I love Brock Purdy. I'm pulling for him. I love the underdog stories. I'm always going to pull for those guys. Um, and I'm just an NFC guy. So I kind of, you know, I'm kind of pulling for the Niners. But um, my gut is telling me the Chiefs, because of the Patrick Mahomes factor, if this is a tight game and there's important moments in the game, which there will be, he just finds a way to make it happen. I feel, I mean, I agree with you. I feel like the narrative is on the side of the Chiefs, but I feel like the Sharps are all on the Niners. So take that for what you will. But right now, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use code ALLNBA. New customers, you bet $5. Whether you get it right or wrong, you get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Only on DraftKings with ALLNBA. The crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 878-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 older age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Also want to tell you about the Game Time app. If you're getting tickets to any event, in particular an NBA event, if you're trying to go to an NBA game, First, check out the Game Time app. See what they have on there. All kinds of last-second deals, zone deals, flash deals, last-minute tickets. You can just show up at the arena and then open the app. You're sure to find some kind of deal on the app right before uh, tip-off. So download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code ALLNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code ALLNBA for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. All right, legs, really quickly, let's get into another game that we watched yesterday, and that is the Warriors taking care of the Indiana Pacers to the tune of 131 to 109. They scored 45 points in the first quarter, thanks in large part to Steph Curry, who finished once again with more than 10 three-pointers. He goes 11 of 16. He has 42 points. Is the game as simple as Steph Curry just outgunned them? Um, I mean, not as simple as that, but, but you know, listen, first of all, if you didn't see – uh, any of that game, just go. I, I advise you to try to watch the first quarter. Um, if if anybody's listening to the show right now, because the shot making in the first quarter out of Steph Curry, and he hit six threes in a row. So he's at the end of the first quarter, he's got six made threes. I think he had eight at halftime, made his first eight, I believe, in the game. And they were a variety. And the la he pulled up one. Finally, they got to the point after about his fifth, I think it was his fifth, he comes across half court. And I sent you a picture of it. I kind of froze the picture yeah. at him. I took a picture of it. And yeah. he he literally sees so they just run a second defender at him as he's crossing half court. I think Nemhart was guarding him, and it might have been like Jalen Smith just comes running out there at like 35 to 40 feet. As soon as he's crossing half court, there's still 16, 17 seconds left on the shot clock. And yeah. he was feeling it to such an extent. He just rather than just give it up out of the double team, he said, you know, I'm just gonna see how hot I really am. And he just pulled it from 35 and hit nothing but net. And the look of exasperation on the, in the Indiana Pacers and their head coach and the crowd and everything. So, yeah, it was one of those nights for Curry. Uh, but there were some other things in this game that interested me. One was when he starts like that, 
how easy the game becomes for everybody on the, on the floor because the extent to which Indiana changed their defense to account for where he was and the number of guys that had their head on a swivel trying to find him and what that creates for cuts and open threes and dribble drives for other guys. So, yes, the Curry factor was huge. But the other thing that stood out to me, again, was this, this is a completely different player now, Jonathan Kaminga. This is this is and, yep. and I'm watching the game and I'm saying, my goodness. So this I now I expect that I think it's last night was his 29th consecutive double digit game. And I'm watching him. And what do you have? 18 points last night, nine for 16. And it's the way he's getting his shots. It's just a completely different mindset, totally different confidence level, trust in his coaches, everything. Um, if he can continue to play like this, and, and obviously probably even get better as the year goes, because he's so young. If they can just get anything that resembles what Andrew Wiggins looked like when they won the championship. And look, I understand Clay's not going to turn into the old Clay. I get it. But can Clay Thompson start giving you like 16 to 18 efficiently? If they get those two things, Adam, and this team is like a, a play in team, which they most likely are going to be. I'm telling you, it's still crazy, but they're still dangerous. And I think Podzemski has been a massive acquisition for them. He's a winner. That guy flat out is in the right place at the right time all the time. His passing ability fits in perfectly with their team. I just love him watching him play. He's a winning player. If they can just get what I'm talking about out of Wiggins and out of Clay Thompson, if it's possible, maybe that ship sailed on Clay Thompson. I don't know. I think there's still more there for Wiggins because Kaming is legit now. We know we're getting out of Curry and, and Podzimski and, and even their bench. It's those two players. I still think, believe it or not, they would be a dangerous team to have to play. One of the things I was wondering as I kind of sped through this game, I mean, first of all, Draymond is still phenomenal defensively, but the the Pacers seem slowed down. And maybe this is Halliburton still coming back from the injury. Maybe this is a great defense. But I do wonder if, you know, you lose Bradley, uh, uh, Buddy Heald, you add Siakam, do you think that the Pacers might have lessened their pace? Not necessarily saying effective or not effective, but that they can't play as fast as they were before the trade. Do you, or is that just a, you know, maybe it was last night. I saw that just from the Warriors. No, I will listen to last night for sure. I, I agree with you. That was, that's the worst game I've seen Tyrese Halliburton play. He just didn't look mm -hmm. like himself. He just did not play with the frenetic speed up and down the floor. Yeah. Couldn't get to his spots for his shot. He played 26 minutes. He was two for seven, one for four from the three. He did have 11 assists, but I mean, you know, he's got the ball so much, you're going to get assists with the shooters on your team. He just didn't look right. He wasn't getting by people. Um, and he had some weird plays where he just fumbled the ball and, and, and like missed, missed stuff like at the rim. He just didn't look good. I don't know what was going on. Was he tired? Is he not, was he not feeling right? He's the engine for their team. And when he looks like that, that's what their offense is going to look like. And I'll tell you this, to answer your question, they better not slow it down because that's what differentiates them. Right. That's what yep. makes them special, and it plays into his hands. Because, look, Tyrese Halliburton, I'm not sure is, like, we'd think about him the same way if this team was playing at a slower pace and it was like a half-court game for them. You know, I, don't, I just don't think that he's that kind of player. He relies on the open floor. He relies on getting out and getting up the floor and using his vision to advance the ball and beat you that way and get into gaps right away, you know, dribbling up the floor. So they better not slow it down. And we're going to find out, like, how different it looks with, without Buddy Heald, and they're going to need Matherin to, you know, continue to grow. 
and they're going to need them part to continue to grow. And those guys need to be great without Buddy Heald. And then, then, you know, a couple of new pieces that they're bringing in and how they fit. Has Doug McDermott got a role in this team? Like, we have to see if that's going to happen. Um, last night wasn't typical of what I've seen out of the Pacers this year, and Halliburton just was not himself for whatever reason. And Steph Curry was sensational. Maybe Curry remembered, by the way, Adam, last year when they played Indiana out in Golden State, Nembhard had 31 points in that game and was the story of the game. He, like, he outplayed Steph Curry in that yeah. game. I don't know if that played into it, but Curry came out really aggressively hunting early in this game. And, and, and when a guy like that hits his first couple, you got a problem on your hands and it pretty much lasted the entire night. Did you ever have a game like this where you went off against, you know, a, a superstar player or against a superstar team? And then you felt like the next time you played them, you're like, oh my God, they must've remembered this. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, that definitely happens. And it, it, it actually, th th this is a great story. I remember this, not about myself, but this exact topic this is what happened to Furkan Korkmaz a couple years ago in Philly. Like, I don't know if you remember this, but he had like back-to-back 30-point -back games. Like, he went ballistic. And I said, I said, I made a joke, and I said, see, he's breaking the three-point, role-playing three-point shooter code. You can't go off to that extent because the next game he didn't score. <laughs> because you're now, all of a sudden now, your name gets written bigger on the whiteboard yep. in the other locker room. And now it's face guarding and it's no help responsibility off the guy. It's like now where if you just go have your nice little 15, 16, you know, that's a really good night for a three point shooter, you know, go do that. You know, that's great. They're going to, you know, okay. Yeah, it was a good game. They're not going to have you like written down as a priority to guard the next game. Yeah. So yes, that, that happened to me a few times. I remember we were playing Chicago one time. And I had Michael Jordan was guarding me and he left me a couple of times as he, as he would do. He liked to gamble and try to get steals. And I, I relocated and hit a couple of threes. And I remember him saying to me, all right, that's it. Like, I'm not, that's it. You're not getting any more. I'm not leaving you anymore. Like, and you kind of know, like, if that's, if he means that, like, you got a problem, yeah. you know, it's like, right. so that's the key, man, as a shooter. Yeah. Have good games, be efficient, be successful, but like stay under the radar a little bit, just enough <laughs> so that they forget about you throughout the game. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas city, go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. That's funny. Let's move on to our main topic, though. Last night, it was Kobe statue night in L.A. They unveiled the first of three statues that they will be putting around the Crypto.com arena of Kobe Bryant. And you think it'll be an emotional game for both teams? It was a very good game. Nuggets in town to take on the Lakers. I thought it was a very good game. Both teams played well. But what stood out to me was that in the clutch, the Nuggets looked like the game came very, very, very easy to them, and in particular in the last two minutes. What stood out to you about this one? Yeah, I think I think it's very simple. I can sum it up this way. And and you know, I don't you might have a different list of who you think could actually win the title and what we call contenders. I feel like the word right. contender is being thrown out <laughs> yeah. more and more now, right? Because for me, I don't I don't want to use that term unless I said, I think they could win the whole thing. Now you might say contender in the East contender in the West. That is a little bit different. That, that to me says you can get right. to the conference finals, right? Yeah. But, but actually finish with a parade. 
so your list might be different than my list, might be different than the people that are watching right now's list, whatever. But I do know this. Of whatever list you want to show me that of teams that are on that list, is there any team you trust more to execute when they have to execute than the Denver Nuggets? And they reminded you again of it last night. And look, a lot of it is because of Jokic. I get it. Because, you know, it's so nice, the luxury to be able to throw a ball to a guy. First of all, he's always able to receive a pass because yeah. of his strength and his size. So let's just start right. with that. Like, there are other guys in this league that are elite-level offensive players that, like, sometimes, because they're wings or whatever, they have to, like, work so hard to even get the, their hands on the ball if they're being denied. That Number one, it, ex it extends energy. You catch yep. it further out on the floor. And now you've got to go operate. And usually those guys are trying to score only to beat you. That Jokic, different character. Number one, catch it wherever you want to, whenever you want to. You can't stop him from catching the ball. He's too right. strong. He's too big. And his hands are too good. So that's first. Let's just start with that. He catch it where you want to. Then it's make the perfect read every single time. It doesn't have to be a shot, but it can be if you give him single coverage and you want to give him something in the post, it can be. But last night, late, look at the stuff they ran. They ran that play where Murray comes like from the lane off of him for a dribble handoff directly to the top of the key. And Torian Prince looked gassed. He like gave up on the possession, ran into the screen and just quit. And Murray hits a three huge possession yep. in the game. The play where they throw it to Jokic at the elbow and Michael Porter Jr. is in the left corner. And Austin Reeves makes a terrible decision to try to sneak up on Jokic from behind. Cause his back he almost had him legs. He, he yeah, I got news for you. That was a lot further from almost than you think. <laughs> ask ask Jokic how close yeah. that was to almost. He, the dude has yeah. eyes in the back of his head. He saw him coming the entire time. Number one, even if you do get there and get a piece of that ball, he's so damn strong. You're probably yeah. not dislodging it, okay? Right. But he he he, he like he picked it up at exactly the right time as Austin yeah. Reeves is running like on a his right trick. Trip. Turn, spun, throws a bullet to Michael Porter Jr. for the, the, the dagger three in the left corner. It's Do you trust anybody? We could go over every team in this league. Who do you trust as much as Denver? These are going to be tight games. You're going to yeah. get into these really important possessions, at, it, it really important games in the series. Who do you trust as much as Denver? And that still will continually be the theme for me when I evaluate who's going to win the whole thing because these games are going to be close. And Denver is the team that I think is going to execute and make sure they get a quality possession when they have to have it. What I find interesting about the play you're referencing with Torian Prince is that that was really just a read off of a play that they were running. You know, they're running, and I've talked about this play a lot over at DNVR. Um, it ripped DHO. They run the little back screen for Murray setting a back screen on Aaron Gordon and try to receive the pass. Well, Torian Prince was doing a very good job of blowing that action up. He saw it coming. He's getting in front. And he's jamming it. Murray comes around the other direction. Jokic flips it to him. And immediately Aaron Gordon and Jokic just mold into a double screen. And that's where he gets caught up. So it was a play they ran but have so much chemistry and experience running their plays that they just know, oh, they blew up the play audible into this and just get into this action and just keep moving, keep going one action to the next. And as you mentioned, Torian Prince, who's already jammed one screen and beat him to the spot immediately has to go into another screen with no hesitation. He gets caught on that one and Murray drains the three pointer and it was demoralizing. And this is the number. So there are numbers that back this up that the nuggets have a good record this year. They're tied right now for the first seed. So it's not like they're sneaking up on anybody. They're reigning champs. But they're, I think, way better than the record says. For starters, they are 
Now, uh, 28 and 10 with Jamal Murray in the lineup. He missed 14 games. That's a 60 win pace. And they're 24 and 7 when they have their full starting lineup. That's like a 65 win pace, 64 win pace. But they have a plus 25 net rating in the clutch this season. Plus 25. That's number one. To me, that's the biggest thing that matters is whenever the Nuggets get into tight games, they don't just win or get small margins. They tend to do what they do last night, which is 8-0 runs to close the door because they have so many different ways of scoring and their defense ratchets up and they actually look pretty good. So that's the number one reason I look at the Nuggets and say they're better than all of the little indications say. Yeah, and as and even even with that, you know, you talk about you know the eight and six without Jamal Murray. Here they are; they're tied for the top of the Western Conference, and like that conversation at the top of the West has, has been you know interesting all year. In Oklahoma City, Denver. I mean, sorry, Oklahoma City, Minnesota have gotten so much talk, deservedly so. Denver just just sort of hung around, and now here they are at the top. And now obviously the Clippers are getting all kinds of talk, and now the Suns are starting to play better. Right, Dallas just got better, but who they added? The Pelicans are still a dangerous team. So there's all kinds of talk about it. But when you really look at this, and you look at you know look at Minnesota late game, I've talked to you about this. I I have questions about that because I think Anthony Edwards, as great as he is, I do right. think sometimes he goes for that kill shot, um, and and will bail you out as a defender. Will go into a step back three at a time in a really important time in the game. And then you've also got Carl Anthony Towns. Like, what's the pecking order going to be offensively for them? You know for a fact with Denver, the ball's going to touch Jokic's hands every single time, and then it's going to be a decision out of that. Um, you look at Oklahoma City Thunder. Look, I know they got Shea, and he's really dangerous, and he's one of the toughest covers in the league, and he gets great shots for himself. So there's a trust factor there, but they, they haven't been through any situations like that that right. matter in the postseason. They've been nowhere near that. The Clippers, yeah, I trust Kawhi Leonard. Yes, I think Kawhi Leonard – has earned the right for us to say he will be great when it is required. I don't doubt that. Do you trust Paul George? Do you trust James Harden in those? Do you trust Russell Westbrook to make a great decision with the ball and a shot or, a, or like a, a turnover because he's going too fast and playing too? Right. Those are questions about them in closing games. Um, at Phoenix, they got to figure out because they got three guys that are big closers their whole career. So, like, what what do you do? Probably Durant option one. But again, I said earlier, it can't be straight ISO. Can't be that. That's not going to get it done against these teams. So all those teams have question marks. Um, Denver doesn't, man, and they're the, they're the surest bet. And despite not, I don't think, treating the regular season, Adam, right. all that significantly, despite right. that, they're tied for the best record in the Western Conference. And I think at the end of the day, do, do and you're around them, and you see them more than I do, see them every day, every possession. Do you think the mentality of the Denver Nuggets is – Hey, number one seed is not something we're going to actively seek. We're going to do what's best for our team in the regular season, whatever that means. But if you get down to the last, you know, 10 games of the year and they're right there tied or game back, game up, whatever it be, they're going to understand how, like, it's really important to get that if you can and, and then try to close the deal at the end of the season. Or do you think they really believe, like, what difference does it really ultimately make? We've proven we can win on the road. You only have to win one road game in a series. So what, what do you think their mentality is as it relates specifically to where they finish in the regular season? Well, first of all, last year I was surprised going into the playoffs how confident the team seemed in Michael Malone. Because Michael Malone is a guy that brings a, a, an intensity, even to pressers. You can just tell he's intense and he's serious. He was so relaxed throughout the entire playoffs last year, and he would even talk about it. I just can see my guys are locked in. I can see that they, you know, they know what's important and what's not. And 
the indicators there. They knew that they could win games that they needed to. So they had this calm confidence about them last year that I don't think if you weren't around the team, you didn't see it. This year, they have that same thing. And I'm surprised a little bit by that. How confident? I mean, Malone going into the trade deadline was saying, I hope Calvin Booth doesn't make any new uh, moves. We have what we need. So I think when you talk about the one seed, Malone has said the team, I think, got bored last year. They were up eight games in the standings at this time last year, so they got a little bored because they weren't being pushed. I think they'll be pushed a lot harder this year, and I think their focus will stay higher than it was last year when it dipped in the month of March. But at the same time, I think the most important thing is that they have a confidence to them that whether they're the one, two, or three seed or whatever it is, I just think they have a confidence that nights like last night on the road in Los Angeles, tie game wasn't a particularly great game for the, from the Nuggets, but in those moments, they're just, they feel so confident that they're going to get good shots every time down court. And equally as important, legs, they're confident that they can defend. They have a 94.3 defensive rating in the clutch this season. That mirrors what they did last year when they weren't a great defensive team all year, but their numbers in close games in the fourth quarter was really great. It's the same story this year, and you saw it last night. The Lakers, not only did the Nuggets score every time down court, but the Lakers didn't score at all, and the Lakers weren't getting clean looks either. So I think Denver, it's less about do they care about the one seed, and it's more about they just feel like they're doing the things that they know matter the most in the playoffs, and whatever else happens doesn't matter. And and look, I, one thing you saw last night, it continues to be the case. I don't, is there a single bigger X factor in the in the in the, certainly the West, maybe the entire league, to Michael Porter Jr. Yep. Yep. Seriously, when Michael Porter Jr. is like that impactful offensively, and that in, included the entire time, and like aggressive and confident, and just he's a total difference maker for them. And he was again last night. You know, he had played great throughout, but he was really good late. Um, it two threes that really mattered in that game. And it's just, he is to me such a differentiating factor for them. It's not that they have Jokic and Murray and that's the best tandem in the league, the way they play off of each other. Nobody can match what they do together. And that doesn't mean there aren't great duos in this league, but they're most of the time operating independent of each other. That's right. not the case of Murray and Jokic. Like what they do is directly connected and yeah. now you've got to deal with their ability to play off of each other. And then throw Porter into the mix as like that third guy that's like that good. And things are looking really good for Denver. And it's, look, it's going to be interesting. Rest of the way, we're getting close here to the All-Star break. And after that, you come out of the break, and it feels like once you hit early March, man, it's, it's, it's a sprint. And every game seems to feel more important every night. There's less load management. And, and we're going to see how all this stuff's going to play out. What Minnesota ultimately is, what Oklahoma City is. They added Gordon Hayward. Is he going to play, stay healthy, and be a factor? That might be a nice pickup for them. They might be even better than we thought. You know, uh, what the Suns did in adding Royce O'Neal, how does that play out? Dallas added guys. So th there's a lot of interesting storylines that still have to play out in the West. Tell me if you think these stats, because I have a couple more for you, if, they, if you feel they're meaningful or if they if they don't mean anything. Num they are the number one half-court offense in the NBA this year. So following a, a timeout or a made basket or whatever, where you have to walk the ball up the court, the Nuggets have the number one offense and the number three defense. So take out fast breaks of any kind or even just missed shots where there's a transition opportunity. Denver is number one on offense, number three on defense. Man, and that's what it that's what it comes down to. I mean, it, the league doesn't slow down to the extent that it used to in the playoffs. Right. It still is, though, slower. It, and, and, and the possessions, because they become more meaningful, there's more thought put into right. these those early quick threes that are taken, you know, in a regular season, they're just taken at like candy. 
you know, every, anybody gets daylight shoots it. There's more regard paid to that. There's there's the ball comes up a little bit slower. Defenses are playing harder. There's more adjustments that take place within series as you see a team more. So it just, it's just going to slow down enough and become in possessions becoming more meaningful and I really trust Denver in those situations. And, and Jokic is the big reason why there's just not really an answer for him because of his passing ability. And it's just sheer strength. Here's another one that I think is interesting. They have played the most, but their starting five has played more minutes than any other start, any other five man lineup in the NBA by 70 minutes. And that's with guys missing time. You know, Jamal Murray. In fact, I think they've done that total minutes. They've played more than any other lineup by 70 minutes despite the fact that they've played like way fewer games than most of the other teams in the top top 10. And that's a trait of the Michael Malone era. He likes to use these like hockey rotations, you know, where he plays his starters a lot of minutes together, plays his all bench lineups. But I'm curious because that's a now four-year trend, but let's say two-year trend since they've had this starting five together. And I feel like there is a hidden benefit to that, which is their chemistry is just unbelievable because they have so many more reps than anybody else at that. And of course, in the playoffs, everybody's best five plays more minutes together. I think Denver has a leg up because of that, too. Their five-man lineup just has a ton of experience. Yeah, no, core continuity. Core continuity. Super important. We were concerned about Denver's changes, bench, you know, the, yeah. the, the loss of Bruce, Bruce Brown, Brown, right? Who's such a major factor. We were concerned about that. Who's going to replace that? Is it going to be Christian Brown? Is it going to be Peyton Watson? You know, it, it, it's not necessarily the same guy every night, although I know you've been big on Peyton Watson since the very beginning of the year. And, and I, the more I watch him play, I see why he's going to, and he's going to be significant, yeah. excuse me, significant player for them um, in the postseason. There's no question about it. That was a big question mark for them. But, you know, I feel like at the end of the day, that starting five and what they accomplished last year together and what they continue to still look like, that erases a lot of mistakes. It makes up for a lot of whatever holes you want to try to find when you're that good as a unit. Um, that makes up for a lot of mistakes. The last thing here, and I just know this from watching the team as closely as I do, but the question mark with the Nuggets is you talk about their bench, but I actually think Peyton Watson, Christian Brown, Reggie Jackson, those guys have been very good. When you take the minutes with DeAndre Jordan, Nikola Jokic, and Zeke Naji, when those guys are not on the court, it's not that many minutes, but it is their playoff bench. Aaron Gordon goes to the five, and you play with whatever combination of bench players around him and Murray. That Those lineups are a plus 10. So you look at their starting lineup. We know it's as good as any in the NBA. And their playoff bench appears to be a positive in ways that even last year's playoff bench was not that it's another indication. Again, now we're starting to chop things up and, you know, we're getting, we're having fun with numbers, but as if somebody who watches the team closely, I look at it and I go last year, I was not certain of their playoff rotation this year. I'd feel pretty certain about it because I think the next three guys alongside Murray and Gordon, whoever else from the starting crew you put out there, I just think that it's even better than last year. So do you find that meaningful when you look at the rotation that is going to be their playoff rotation in the regular season, at least it's looked good. You know, it's funny too. And last point on this for me, I said a minute ago that Michael Porter Jr. might be the biggest act factor in the league, certainly the West. And then I go, and then you mentioned Aaron Gordon's name. I go, Oh, wait a second. Maybe it's Aaron Gordon. So they've got two yeah. guys like that. And when you look at these other teams outside their stars, you don't feel that way about those guys. You don't feel that way about, right. about those guys. Not like these two. And, and, and look, Michael Porter Jr. has come miles defensively since, you know, early right. in the year, early in his career when he was just so picked on, particularly in, in ball screen defense. 
He takes it more seriously. He gets tough rebounds in traffic that matter. And then, you know, he's a big time shooter, big time scorer as well. So yeah, it's crazy. Like maybe the second biggest factor is Aaron Gordon, because when Aaron Gordon, he gives you everything every night, anyway, defensively on the glass, who he guards, like, you know, just everything about him is so important, but then he might go chip in 20 something in a finals game. Like he did a year ago. And it's like, now what are you supposed to do with this team? If you're going to pay too much attention to Jokic and Murray, and you got these two guys that are capable of going for 20 on any given night, um, maybe it's actually Aaron Gordon, not Michael Porter Jr., but they're both in the same category. All right. It is Friday, and every Friday we ask the question, who won the week? Who won the week, which is presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Remember, use promo code ALLNBA. I've got a couple nominees for you here today, Legs. The Cleveland Cavaliers went 4-0 this week. But not just 4-0, a couple teams went 4-0 this week. But what happened with the Cavs was they gained. Remember last week we were talking about, oh, it's a log jam at number two. They gained three games in the standings this week between the two and the three seed. They are now firmly in the two seed uh, out in the Eastern Conference. They had a soft schedule, but so what? They took care of business. Donovan Mitchell averaged 32-6-5, shooting 45% from the three-point line. Kind of an extension of what he's been doing. Bradley Beal, 28 points, four and a half rebounds, six and a half assists. The playmaking there is really stands out to me. And then Kawhi Leonard, they went three and one with the uh, the Clippers this week, or maybe two and one. 27, six and four from him on 60, 60, 90 shooting splits. All right, those are your options. Kawhi Leonard, Bradley Beal, Donovan Mitchell, and the Cleveland Cavaliers as a team. Where are you going? I'll go with the Cavs overall. Mitchell would have been, you know, it's a choice between Mitchell and the team, but let's go with the team now because they're starting to now look like a team that that really could be a serious problem for for other teams in the East, including Boston. Like they're they're because of how good they can be defensively. And I I mentioned the stat I think last week, and I'll, I'll reiterate it now because they've had a few more wins and a couple fall into this category. Um, the last sixteen wins, twelve of those wins, one hundred two points or less allowed. That just doesn't that just doesn't exist in this league anymore. That's really hard to do mm. to hold teams to 102 points. You know, you you can give up 114 and play great defensively in this league right now. The way it looks, the number of threes, the number of possessions. So 12 out of 16 wins, 102 or less. They did it again uh, twice this week. San Antonio 101, Brooklyn 95. Now they didn't play. You know, Murderers Row this week. They, had, they you know they, basically they got San Antonio sack. Blew them out, though. Washington and Brooklyn, so I get it. Doesn't matter. And the Washington game was a good example. A couple of nights ago, they they were kind of walking through it for three quarters in a one-possession game, and then they just, like that, snapped their fingers, turned up the heat defensively, right. and all over the place, protecting the rim, guarding out of the perimeter, locking into Kuzma, who had been lighting them up, and then Donovan Mitchell takes over the game on the other end. Perfect formula for success. So give it to the Cavs, man. They've They've – they won all four games this week, but Donovan Mitchell now has led them in scoring in their last eight wins. He's on a roll. He averaged 32 for the week, so it could have been him as well. They're almost closer to the Celtics than they are to the Bucks behind them, so just kind of show you how much separation they are creating right now in the loss column. Um, so kind of a big storyline there. I feel like we, we need to give more attention to Cleveland here in the coming weeks because they are on a heater. All right, let's look at the weekend slate legs. This is Super Bowl weekend, so it's not the best weekend slate. I feel like the NBA, you almost have to get out of the way a little bit for the biggest sporting event in the world. Uh, but Friday, we've got the Nuggets, that's tonight, taking on the Sacramento Kings. It's a back-to-back for Denver, but I love this matchup. It's always fun when these two teams match up. Sabonis and Jokic, what do you look for here? 
Yeah, look, that's a good one. I mean, and I think one of the things about these games, there's only a couple games tonight that it really super interests me. Although the Bucks right now are kind of interesting to me, just, even though they're playing the Hornets. <laughs> yeah. Because of the because, yeah. you know, it's like, okay, they're one in five now since Doc got there. Not putting it yeah. at, on Doc's feet at all, obviously. Right, 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 just right. got there. But I'm just saying, like, they had issues. They were 30 and 16. They made a change and they've won one in five. So it's like, all right. So one thing that interests me now is and I don't know if it'll be tonight, although I'm assuming some of these guys that change teams are going to play tonight, I would think. If not, certainly over the weekend. So that's interesting to me to see some of these new pieces and new parts. Nuggets, Kings, and uh, Pell's Lakers are probably the two best games on paper um, in this one, on, on this yeah. particular night. And so those will be the most interesting games. And and you know, let's see if, if Denver can go into Sacramento, who I think a lot of people view differently now than they did a year ago. And can they go into Sacramento and do the same things that they did to the Lakers? You mentioned the Pelicans, Lakers, Pelicans on a four game win streak with a chance to extend that to their longest of the season to get that fifth win. And oh, by the way, the Lakers right now, we keep doing this carousel down in the, the play in, but they are sitting at 26 losses. The Golden State Warriors only 25 in large part because they have played fewer games. But this is a game where if New Orleans, if the Lakers drop this one, the second in a row, they'll fall into the play-in or, or outside of the play-in again. So the Lakers, all these little losing streaks add up. On Saturday, we get OKC at Dallas. This is likely a debut game for the new players. So uh, Gordon Hayward for Oklahoma City. And on Dallas side, do you get P.J. Washington and Daniel Gafford in time? That's why that game stands out to me. And in addition to it being a good game, a, a look at some of these uh, teams with the new guys. You got the Pacers at the Knicks. Knicks, you know, Shorthanded at the moment, so that'll be interesting. And then the Suns at the Warriors. Always fun when KD goes back to Golden State. Um, what do you got for the Saturday slate? Yeah, I agree. Indiana and New York's interesting. And one one guy we haven't talked about um, at all, really. Um, we've been talking about their team a lot, but we haven't been talking about Dante DiVincenzo. And, yeah. like, what he Thank has done as a scorer over the past six games is so far above what he has done in his career offensively. And look, I guess he's empowered. You know, Brunson's been out, Randall's out, and Anobi's been out, so somebody's got to shoot the ball. But this dude has found, like, a level offensively that I didn't think he was going to get to in this league. Look at the last six games, 28, 33, 20, 26, 32, 36, and shooting good percentages. I mean, he's shooting basically close to 50% uh, from the field during that time, he has taken in the last six games, Adam, 46, 83, 6, 14 threes a game in the last six games. Like he is letting that thing fly. And the reason I bring that up is because it's, it's a nice bonus to have a guy now know what he is capable of offensively because you might need that in a big spot later in the year in the playoffs, maybe on a night when Brunson's bottled up a little bit or one guy's out in an important game in a playoff series or Ananobi, he's not a big scorer and you need to get 20, 25 in a playoff game. Well, DiVincenzo now knows like what his real ceiling is offensively in this league as a scorer. And it's been really interesting to watch because he's been like a 10, 12 point a game type guy. And now he's just blowing it up every single night and letting that thing fly with no regard. And it's been kind of fun to watch actually. So that Indiana, Nick game might be another opportunity to see if DiVincenzo could keep this going. 
The DiVincenzo Bowl. There you go. We got a super chat on the Knicks, so we might as well bring it up now. Uh, super producer Emma J Money asks, Knicks ceiling change at all after the deadline? We actually spent a good amount of time on this yesterday because the Knicks were kind of the story of the trade deadline. So if you want to go back and watch our thoughts in detail, we do spend about 10 minutes on the Knicks uh, on yesterday's trade deadline show. I think the short answer for that was yes. We love the moves that they made, both in the short term and long term. Anything quick you wanted to add? Yeah, so here's what I will say. It already had started to change just acquiring Ananobi, yep. right, in the way they were yep. playing, right? So it already kind of shifted. And I think also combine it with Embiid injury, Bucks questions, no no doubt about it. And all of a sudden, even before the trade, you looked at the Knicks and said, man, you know what? They might be able to get to the conference finals. I mean, it's, it's, it's because of how we feel about Milwaukee and Philly all of a sudden. And Cleveland's obviously in the mix, but like, you know, the Knicks and Cleveland could go toe to toe. They could win that series. So it's like, I already thought, hey, conference finals now, maybe they're ceiling. They add Bogdanovich, uh, they add Burks. So you're asking me, really, has it changed other than conference finals? What you really would be asking me is, Adam, do I now think on right. paper they could beat the Boston Celtics and get to the finals? My answer to that would probably be no. I think Boston's the best team, but the gap between the two teams is very thin now because of how deep the Knicks are and how much belief they have right now in what they're doing. So it, it incrementally changed because it closed the gap with Boston, but there's still this team in the way of, of getting beyond the conference finals, and that's the Boston Celtics, who I still think are the best team in the East. And then on Sunday, we have Boston at Miami. By the way, Super Bowl Sunday, the NBA tries to get a little pre- like, you know, the, before the Super Bowl uh, craze takes over, they have an ABC game, Boston at Miami, which should be a good one. And then this poor Sacramento and Oklahoma City having to play in the afternoon on Super Bowl Sunday. So Sacramento at OKC. And that's a good game, by the way. Sac, Sac OKC, I want to watch that. But it's going to be on during the Super Bowl. Boston and Miami, Sacramento, OKC, anything on that? Uh, two good games. It's interesting. I was talking to my to my dear friend Cassidy Hubbard, who I did some TV with yesterday, who's doing sideline for uh, – Boston, Miami. She's like, I got to go Super Bowl Sunday and do sideline for Celtics. Heat. Look, it is two o'clock. I think that'll get a big number that game. You know, yeah. people are people are at Super Bowl parties or hanging yep. out. You know, unless you want to watch, as as will be on in my house probably. And one TV will be on the Puppy Bowl. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> I, I'm telling you right now. I big don't miss guy, the Puppy Bowl. Big dog guy. I go over. I go over the starting lineups for the Puppy Bowl. I look who's coming <laughs> off the bench. Like it's a major, major thing in our house. Right, I get all okay. my dogs to watch the yeah. puppy bowl. I get them lined up with snacks, and they, so I'll look. I'll be have one eye on the you know my job, okay. my, my yeah. you know my NBA job, you know, analyzing basketball. But one one eye on the puppy bowl. It is a really good game. It should do a great number. Miami is a team that I think we're all still trying to figure out. Do they have? Because here's the thing: we talk about all these teams in the East now, we including the Knicks, we're including the Cavs. We already had those other three we're talking about. What about the Heat? At one point we started to talk about it as they got hot. Then now they're now they're cooled off again. Yeah. Do, do you think, real quick before we go, do you think before it's all said and done, we are going to have a stretch out of the Miami Heat after the All-Star break, let's say, where they win, you know, six, seven, eight straight, and maybe beat a couple of contending type teams in that stretch. And then and now where we go, we got to include the Heat now as a team that could potentially make a run. From what you've seen of the Heat, do you think that's coming? I don't, 
But I don't necessarily mean that I think that they're over. I just don't know that they're going to have the win streak that you're talking about. I think the Miami Heat are going to be the seven seed in the in the East, which is to say, I think they're going to be right where they were last year. But I don't think there'll be a stretch that we point to and say, okay, there it is. Now, that doesn't mean they don't go into the playoffs and do exactly what they did last year, especially if you avoid the eight seed where you have Boston in the first round. Cleveland, Milwaukee, the Knicks, the Sixers, the Pacers, all those teams feel beatable. Even if they'll be favored in a series, they feel vulnerable. So, no, I don't think we'll have that stretch based on what I've seen. Um, adding in a new piece, by the way, with Rozier and, and all those different things. So I don't know that I'll see it, but I still treat them with respect going into the playoffs. What about you? Oh, man, I, you know, I, I think for me, it always is going to get back to the to the Spo factor and get it. He'll never have a team that's going to just like kind of go into that mode where they don't believe anymore, even in rough stretches. He's too intense. He's got too much energy. He's too smart. And they've got enough talent. I think they've got enough talent to like make it interesting, but they've got to play their style against teams. That's going to be the question for them. Like, can they get Boston, Milwaukee, um, you know, I guess even, you know, the Knicks, Cavs, like, can they get them into that style of game where it's predicated on half court possessions and they've got Jimmy Butler and Bam and they've got those guys? That remains to be seen. I, I, I'm i not going to sit there and say we've heard the last of the heat this year. I, I just I have too much respect for Eric Spolstra yeah. and 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 just their ability to find it like quickly. That's the thing about them. Like they can get onto a role and it changes the way they feel about themselves. And now you've got to, you know, the East will have another team to deal with. So I'm not I'm just going to cast them to the side for a bit. I just thought it was interesting to throw out this since you brought up you know, this game on Sunday, you know, a lot of eyes on that game. The only game going on at the time before the Super Bowl, and then you get King's Thunder, like the second half of that game, but that's the game on a big day. Be a good day to come out maybe and do something impressive and get it, get themselves back in the conversation. What I'll say is this. I like the magic. I like the heat. I like the Pacers. I think the Eastern conference first round, even if there are no upsets, I just like the top eight teams out there. So I think it's, we already know the West is already a bloodbath trying just to make it into the play. And I think both first rounds of the playoffs this year are going to be compelling in one way or another. And we can't say that every year. There's a lot of years where there's a dud in the first round, not this year. Miami will probably be a part of that going on the road once again. All right. We're off to the puppy bowl. Everybody you heard it. We got to go get ready. Man, I got to, Got to get I scouting in. I got to be able to talk to, to Legs about it on Monday. Thanks for hanging with us. This is our best week yet uh, on the All-NBA Show. We had some great audiences. We had some great topics. Obviously, the trade deadline was entertaining. It only gets better from here, though, because after the trade deadline and after the Super Bowl, that's when the storylines really start to set up for a great playoff run. We're almost out of the dog days and into the home stretch. Thanks for hanging with us. Hit that like button. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you on Monday. Like the mayor.